0: Such a blessing to be with you guys this morning. God's building something Um, in the world. He's also building something in this room, even this day. We're very thankful that you're here uh, to be a part of it today. Um, A few new things, um, important things. One is the first day. I hope you noticed a little something when you walk through the lobby. It's the first day that we've had our welcome table out. So we're always trying to get you to do a connect card. That's your first step. If you've never done a Connect card, if you'll fill out a Connect card, you can either do it online on the website, relentlesschurch.cc, or you can go out here to the table. Either way, they got a free gift for you. What? Yay. Free gift? How much is it? It's free. Like it's really free. There's not like a, it's no bait and switch. So um, if you've never filled out a Connect card, you need to go to that table and tell them I've never filled out a Connect card. Apologize. They'll be they'll be they'll be merciful. Uh, that's your first step of getting in on what we're what's going on at Relentless. So um, a lot of work has gone into kind of uh, redoing our lobby and how things flow, we're excited about that. And I have another announcement, but it's really not an announcement. It's bigger. That that word doesn't capture what this is. So um, if you've been with us, and a lot of you haven't, we've got so many new faces, which is great. You need to hear the background of this. Um, But we had an amazing person on staff, uh, Takesha Dockery-Ragland, and this last uh, winter, spring, she started just sharing that there's some other things going on in her life. And she felt kind of stagnated in her role here, working with our children. She did an amazing job. And she had some other things and business endeavors going on in life. So she stepped off of our staff. And uh, tell you a bit about who she is. She continued to serve in the children's ministry, even though she wasn't on staff leading that ministry, which left a hole. Um, she's a pretty irreplaceable person. But we were trying to replace um, that staff member because kids at Relentless are a big deal. Um, so we were praying and seeking and figuring out. We put out a part-time job description to try to find somebody to, uh, to oversee that ministry and just didn't get a lot of uh, resumes, didn't get a lot of traction, just kind of weeks turned into months. And a credit to our staff, our associate pastor, um, pastors, Joy and, and Raph kind of picked up slack. Joy or uh, Raph picked up, uh, he kind of led that children's ministry. So probably midsummer, after a few months of nothing happening, he came to me, and respectfully, and he said, how hard are you praying? Yeah. And I was like, I mean, I'm praying. I said, how hard are you praying? He said, I could pray harder. And I was like, I could too. And we said, let's do that. So you know the difference between praying and praying. So we're like, all right, God, we know, we know kids or your heart. We know this is important to you. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to find. Like, there is no other Takesha in the world. We don't know what to do. So we just started praying. And in those prayers, God met us. And we had a conversation, Raph and I did, about, I keep thinking about Takesha. And he's like, me too. But she left us. But she didn't leave us. She would say, she'd say, don't say that. I didn't leave. Uh, I left staff. I never left relentless. And I just, I talked to my coach. Some of you have met Dean Troon And I was, you know, I talked to him about stuff. I said, man, I don't know why. God just keeps bringing her up in my mind. And he said, me too. I was like, you should have told me that. Like, I would have known, you know. So I didn't know what to do. So I just reached out to Takesha and said, hey, I don't know what God's doing. Um... But would you be willing to just pray about something that is unknown? Would you pray about a question mark that I don't know? And she said yes. So we took a weekend, and a bunch of us just prayed, said, God, speak to her, speak to us. We don't know. We were trying to figure out to find the money. We knew we had a need for some administrative, organizational help as a part-time job. We knew children, uh, that's a, we have to find somebody to fill that position, so the rest of our stuff is working out. And we began to talk to Takesha. And come to know, and I knew some of this, but I didn't know all of it, but Takesha, some of you know her as an amazing children's uh, ministry director, uh, but she has served um, in mega churches and led huge teams and seen and done all kinds of things in churches outside of children's. So it was very, the conversation turned into an interview, and it wasn't like any other interview I've been in. As an interview, you've been an interviewer, maybe an interviewee, you try to put your best foot forward. Well, because we knew Takesha, it wasn't that way. It was like, Takesha, we're we're struggling. Like, we have a big old tangled web of things that need process, organization, and it's stuff that if you're not gifted to that, it just makes your head hurt. Um, and I thought, you know, it was like, I told her, like, yeah, we don't have this in place like we should. We don't have this in place. Really, it's what we're looking for is an air traffic controller. We got a lot of people that know some individual things, but we have nobody up in the tower that's, and that used to be me, uh, when we were a smaller church, and that just wasn't working. I'm not gifted at air traffic controlling. Um, and we just got, so we just put it all on the table, like this, all this stuff. And it's like, does that scare you? And she said, no, it kind of excites me. I was like, weirdo, you know, like that, there's nothing exciting about anything you just heard, but it's the belief that God has wired and strengthened, gifted us all um, differently. So, um, those um, conversations turned into a couple interviews with Raph and I, and then we had uh, Chauncey and Linnea and um, David and Kelly Hardy uh, and my wife all. She, we, we were big believers in interviews, and through all that, it just it was confirmation that God is doing something here. So uh, I wanted to offer her um, a, a full-time job with combined roles, and I went to the elders and said what I was thinking, and they said when. I said, January 1st, that's when you bring on new hires. That's what you do. And they said, why do you want to wait so long? I said, I don't want to wait so long. It's a new year. It's when you do this stuff. It's how it works. And they said, you know, we kind of need her before that. I said, I know, but we've already talked, and I think she's thinking January. I'm thinking January. I'll talk to her, but she's already got December planned. So I went to Takesha and said, hey, I had this conversation with the elders. Here's what they said. I said, but just when would you be ready to start? And she said, Today. This was a couple weeks ago, so we started her December 4th, and I get to announce to you today, Takesha dockery Raglan, our Director of Operations and Children's Ministry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if she's in here. She didn't want to make a speech or any of that, but I, I told her you can call her Doc, right? Because Doc's in her name and operations and children's. Like, don't you love how that all comes together? So she, she wasn't in here first service because she was doing stuff, and I, and I went up to her and called her Doc, and she's like, everybody was calling me that. <laughs> that was my dad's nickname. I was like, okay, here's, because we went around and around on her title. I don't know if she knew what her title was until uh, this morning. But uh, that, is, that is an enormous deal for our church. It's going to change the game for where we're going. Yeah. Some of you know more than others because you know if you've ever been in an airport without an air traffic controller, right, you're bumping into stuff. And it's, it's just we're so excited about what God is doing. I'm going to pray for Takesha. She's going to be in the lobby after church. She would love to meet you if you haven't met her. And I would love for you to just support her and tell her how thankful you are for her being open to what God was doing in this whole process. Father, we just thank you for Takesha, for her husband Kendall, and for her kids, and just for her heart for ministry, and how you've gifted her, um, and how you've so uniquely matched up uh, her talents with our needs. And we just thank you for your faithfulness as we pray to just lead us where we didn't think we would ever end up. We thank you for the generosity of this church, um, for the givers uh, in this room, um, and in the first service that make these things possible. We just uh, we thank you for what you're building. And, God, I pray that you would speak your word, not my word, this morning, that if there's somebody in the room that's not sure if Jesus is for them, God, that you would touch their heart supernaturally. They would somehow just know deep in their soul that there's a God of the universe that's speaking to their heart this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're gonna transition from all of that to Christmas, right? Which we can, we can do. Don't forget that Takesha's in the lobby after, after, uh, after service. I'd love for you guys to encourage her um, in this Christmas for All series. Um, we're going we're gonna to jump into Luke 2 in a second. And, you know, the nativity, we got all the characters and Mary and Joseph and the stuff you've heard. Most nativities or Christmas stuff, you don't hear a lot about Simeon, right? Simeon is, is, is the key or one of the keys today. So we're going to pick up in Luke 2. We just had the Mary and Joseph stuff before this. And it says in Luke 2.25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. So it's a Jewish man. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is a Messiah reference, the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was on him. Verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That's quite a promise from the Holy Spirit. You're not going to die until the chosen one, one we've been waiting on for centuries, shows up. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, Simeon goes into the temple courts. When the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, all right, now we don't recommend this unless you're moved by the Spirit to take somebody's kid, right? (laughs) Mary and Joseph walk in, and Simeon takes the child into his arms, and he praises God because this is the moment he's been promised and waiting for his whole life. He's probably up there in years. Verse 29, here's what he says, sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, which is a nice way of saying, I can die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations. And this is what he said, holding Jesus as a, as a little child. He said, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is a Jewish man in a Jewish temple talking about a light for revelation for the gentiles and that word gentiles is basically all non-jews it, it could be translated as ethnicities or people groups and i want you to know as we step into a little bit of multi-ethnic christmas this morning this christmas scene it was so important for simeon to mention that he was a light uh, for, to, for god to reveal himself to the gentiles what god was doing there's a temptation in a multi-ethnic church we're gospel-centered forever focused multi-ethnic church There's a temptation to think we're doing something cool or we're doing something new or we're doing something radical and none of that is true, it's not new. It's as old as Genesis, right? It was in Genesis 12 that God said this to Abraham. "Uh, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples, again, same word that we see in Luke two, uh, all peoples or ethnicities or people groups on earth will be blessed through you. He was talking, that was a Jesus reference. Jesus is going to come from the genealogy family tree of Abraham, um, and Jesus would be a light um, to the Gentiles. And there's all kinds of stuff in the Old Testament to the prophet of Isaiah, using that same phrase, that, that there's something coming, they didn't know what, that would be a light to the Gentiles. And that didn't make sense to them, and it really doesn't make sense. If we want to go back to uh, Luke uh, 2, 32, this little line from uh, Simeon. He's saying this in the temple. Why does that not make sense? Because in the temple were religious leaders that did not like Gentiles. You could say they hated Gentiles. Gentiles, to a lot of the religious leaders, the Jewish people were unclean and not as fully human as them. They weren't the chosen ones like the Jewish people were. So here's this Jewish, devout, older guy holding this baby that everybody doesn't know who he is and saying he's going to be a light, that God's going to reveal something through this baby becoming a man that's going to change things for the non-Jewish people, um, and that was offensive, like Gentiles. God doesn't reveal himself to Gentiles. He's too good for that. He's, he's our God, and we're his people, not the Gentiles. The other reason it was offensive is Gentiles weren't in that, but to, when they heard about this is Gentiles were mostly Romans and Greeks in this first century. They had gods, like more gods than there's people in this room, right? We call them mythology because it wasn't always mythology. There was a time where the Zeus and all the stuff that now they make movies about, Thor and all that, they were actually people gods that people prayed to and believed in with all their heart. They thought they were real. And whatever you had, if you had a hangnail, there was a god of the hangnail that you would go and pray to. Whatever you had, there was a god for everything. And they were real in people's minds. And they didn't last. But for for God to reveal himself to the Gentiles, the Gentiles would say, we don't need to be We already know our gods. They got all these names And they got all these things. We don't need any revelation as a light. And isn't it crazy that Simeon said that in the first century? And within 400 years of that statement, the Greek gods were gone. They weren't gone from culture, but nobody believed or worshipped them anymore. Because man-made gods don't last. There are gods that are worshipped today that will not even exist. And some people have predicted the same with Jesus. And it's never happened. Through cultures, through languages, through world events, through centuries, he continues to be the light not just to the Gentiles, but to do something new. And that's what we're about. So I need just to understand, as a multi-ethnic church, it's not, you guys are in business, understand this phrase, a revenue stream. You know, you find out some new new, uh, market that nobody's gotten into, so you find a new revenue stream, right? That's not what God was doing. Like, I got the Jewish thing, and now let's open it up to all these Gentiles. We'll get a new thing, we'll have a Gentile group here and a Jewish group here, and we'll just double and triple in size and dominate the world. That was not it. It was never... It was never a Jewish stream and it was, I'm going to do something new through the Messiah. Jesus called a shot. God called a shot. I'm going to do a whole new thing that's not going to be Jews over here, Gentiles over here. It's going to be a togetherness that the New Testament church is built on and it's built on this oneness. And it would be a lot easier if I was in those meetings back in the day. And we have Gentiles coming to know Jesus and putting their faith in Jesus that they never met. They don't know all the Old Testament prophecies of a Messiah. They just know that their heart has been touched and they have faith in this Jesus that they've never met. That he came, he lived, he died, he rose from the dead. If I was in that meeting, you know, if you've got Gentiles over here and Jews over here, it's like, you know, let's do 9 o'clock the Jewish service. You guys get up earlier. You got, Let's do 11 o'clock Gentile service, right? And we can just, and, you, and it's the same God. Right, we're not we're not we're not mad at each other, but it'd just be easier because the stories I tell in the nine o'clock are gonna be offensive to you. The stories I tell in the eleven o'clock are gonna be offensive to you. So let's just let's just keep it separate, right? That would be logical, right? There is not even a hint of that in God's word. That was never what Jesus' church was supposed to be. It was never supposed to be this segregated thing in any way. It was always supposed to be built as a new and a oneness. And as a multi-ethnic church pastor, I get this occasionally. And every multi-ethnic church pastor I've ever talked to gets this from somebody somewhere where they say, Pastor, quit with the race. Just preach the gospel. Right? We don't need to hear all, like, just preach the gospel. Nobody's come on a, on a day like this. It's rainy. It's nasty. There's every reason in the world for you not to be here. Look at you, 11 o'clock. You don't get out of bed and come. Did you come for the pastor to mess with your white fragility? Is that what you want to hear about? Whites, you whites. You whiteies, right? We have to laugh at each other. We have to, or we can't be a multi-headed church. And some, we'll get to some stuff here in a bit, but um, I always think of the same story. I was um, one of my best friends in the world. His name's Josh. I grew up with him, um, and he's African-American, and he was marrying a white girl from that I also grew up with. They asked me to do their wedding. It was one of the first weddings I did. And um, I just remember it was rehearsal, thankfully, not uh, the, the wedding. Um, and it was uh, a white bride with almost completely white bridesmaids and a black groom with almost completely um, black groomsmen. And they wanted to do communion as a service. So I'm just, you know, rehearsal, you just kind of walk people through what you're going to do. So I had communion, and I said, all right, so how I'll do this tomorrow at the wedding is I'll serve the cracker first. <laughs> and it, and it, they were more polite. It was real quiet. And then somebody busted out, and then everybody laughed. I was like, oh, no, 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 I meant the bread. I meant the bread. I didn't mean it that way, right? It's, <laughs> there's going to be moments where we accidentally step on some things, and that's okay. That's okay. We've got to be willing. There's some things that we should laugh at, some things that we should not laugh at. But as far as just preach the gospel, you know, we just finished a Galatian series a few months ago, and we saw that it's connected. We saw a scenario, if you remember, where Peter was hanging out with the Gentiles. He's hanging out with this side. And then some really uh, strong-willed Jewish people showed up and said, you can't do that. And Peter stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. He went back to the Jewish and ignored them. And Paul showed up, and it says he confronted Peter to his face. What did he say? He says, Peter, you're out of step with with the gospel. It's a gospel issue. And bigger than that is Ephesians 2. Right, we talk about that quite a bit. A lot of you have never heard our full whole series that we've done years ago from this Ephesians 2. It's core to the multi-ethnic church. And when I'm feeling a little snarky, and I'm in a, I've been in a few pastor settings in my life where um, they said, "Hey, come talk to us about multi-ethnic church." I was like, "Really? You want me to? Yeah, I'm no expert, right?" And almost always, it's a, it's a room of white pastors in that scenario i've only done that a couple of times and i'll get real snarky and i'll ask for a bible you remember like there's used to be these physical bibles they weren't digital so anybody got an actual physical bible all right you got one come on betsy john see can you believe there's no bibles in first service i'm just kidding no i don't so i go to ephesians 2 um i hope it's in the same order my bible's in so i go to ephesians 2 man you got you got all kinds of like post-it notes why is my picture in here? <laughs> Sorry. It's, all right, so, and I'll go to Ephesians 2, and I'll read, which I'm not going to do. I'll read the first 10 verses, which are the most beautiful gospel explanation. If you know the Bible, it says, for God who was so rich in mercy, right? It's the grace. It's the, the gospel that we're built on, that no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, coming to Him is a God who loves you intensely, who knows what you're thinking right now, and he's so rich in mercy, he made a way for you to come to him. And then, it, and then when I'm in that snarky sarcasm, I was like, oh, wait, there's more to the chapter, right? Because the whole first part of Ephesians 2 is grace. The whole second half is race, right? We've got to get from the grace to the race. Bars, all right? Um, <laughs> that's what we're going to pick up. Pick up, these words matter. Verse 11, therefore, therefore is talking about all the grace we just said. Therefore, remember formerly you Gentiles by birth We called you uncircumcised and whatever. Verse 12, remember what? That at the time, there was a time you were separate from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were, look, check this, without hope and without God in the world. All your faults, Greek gods, there was no hope in that. You didn't know the real God. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, that's why this baby came, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we have a church full of people that at one time in their life were far from Jesus. And they've been brought near, not by their good works, not by their behavior, but by the blood of Jesus and understanding what Jesus did for them. Verse 14, for the result of that grace is for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jews, non-Jews, has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier. Not will destroy, but already has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. That's revolutionary stuff. That's fighting words in the temple. We have access the same way. It's not by religion. It's not by nationality. It's not by ethnicity. We get to God now through Jesus and his spirit alone. That's the only way you get to God is through Jesus. We get there the same way. There's not a Jewish line and a non-Jewish line. It's just a Jesus line. Now, verse 19 is, consequently the consequences of the gospel, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. Now, even if you're not Jewish, you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. What we call people that live in the same house again? Family. Built on what? The foundation of, yes, the apostles and prophets, but Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building Not the physical building, the people, the body of Christ is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, Jesus, you too, Relentless Church, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's building something, and it's got to be in Jesus. It makes me want to talk about mayonnaise, right? I I talked about mayonnaise first service, but when we're this close to lunch, I need to be careful. Anybody, like, believe mayonnaise makes everything better? If it's Dukes, okay, we're going to go brands. <laughs> mayonnaise, I don't know a lot about uh, cooking. My daughter's in this service and she watches all these cooking shows. I can't keep up. But I learned this from a multi-ethnic church pastor when he taught this, that mayonnaise is basically oil and water. And oil and water don't mix. All right? But there's something, a big big word coming, something called an emulsifier. And what an emulsifier does, it takes oil and water and it attaches them together. Jesus is the egg yolk of mayonnaise, all right? That's a T-shirt right there. <laughs> Jesus is our egg yolk of mayonnaise. He takes the oil and the water, and he doesn't make two different strains. He makes it all one thing, and it's delicious. But it's got to be built on Jesus. We, we're different. We live in 2023. If we had been talking about this 50 years ago, the culture was not, it wasn't, diversity wasn't cool, right? So now diversity is cool, and we're way past you know integration, for the most part, um, but the culture is trying to do racial reconciliation—all the buzzwords—without Jesus, it won't work. There are things that are different culturally, um, there are things that are different um, racially, and all these things. And you can you can tolerate each other, you can coexist. That was never Jesus' goal. We said in the theater every all the time. We used to meet at a movie theater. We said. Hey, if we got a diverse group of people in here, big deal. The world does that every day. They come and watch a movie and they sit there and they don't know each other. There's no connection. That's not what we're about. It's got to be built on Jesus. And we've got to trust him to lead us in the hard parts of multi ethnic church. I had a, a church planner that somebody connected me with. Uh, you may be hearing more about him. They're planning a church in Norfolk, Virginia in January. And he wants to plant, he's a white guy, he wants to plant a multi ethnic church. So we had lunch. And he was asking me questions, and he said, listen, everybody I'm talking to is telling me I've got to hire an, a, a minority associate pastor. He said, do I, do I have to? And I was like, don't do that, man. Don't, don't do that. Don't, you don't have to do anything, right? He's like, well, they're saying uh, to be legit, you've got to I was like, "I think it's wise. I said, do you have a minority pastor that you know that you want to hire? He said, no. I was like, then don't, don't go find somebody and hire them based on their skin tone. That's not of God right? It's, it's, it's belittling. It comes from the belief that, well, I've got to settle, even if they don't meet what I'm looking for, like they're not, you know, it comes from belief that God can't figure that out and match. I said, God, if he wants you to be a multi-ethnic church, he will bring you the people that make that real and to give you the voices. You've got to trust, don't go ahead of him and, and tokenism and all that doesn't help us. It actually hurts us. It has to be built on Jesus. Even some of the conversations we're going to have as a church, if we go into those without Jesus, we will harm each other. Culture is into sameness, right? Culture, if you you pay attention, there's a lot in culture that wants us all to say the same things. You got to say this, and you can't say this, and if you do say this, you get canceled, right? Trying to just make us all robotic and same, right? Jesus isn't into sameness. He's into oneness, right? And that is such a relief to some of you to think, man, Relentless Church, what do I got to, I got to, I got to, you know, I got to assimilate and be like so-and-so, right? You don't have, we're, how boring would that be if we all clapped the same, looked the same, dressed the same, talked the same, cheered for the same team? Uh, how boring would that be? That's not his goal. He doesn't care. He wants us to become one. That's the power when people that are different from different cultures and backgrounds come together as one. There's power in the oneness, not in the sameness. So if you're a little different in your own world or your family tells you you're a little different, that's good. We welcome that. Um, that's why culture, it's challenging we've come a long way, but there's a lot of things, a lot like we look back at the civil rights movement. A lot of that, um, was Jesus people. Unfortunately, the church was observing instead of leading like Jesus church should have, but a lot of the people leading Jesus was involved in that movement. You just can't accomplish much without Jesus. He's the egg yolk. He, we need that. And he has a history for 2,000 years now, not so much in our country, but we're coming. For 2,000 years, Jesus shows up in villages and places, and he brings people together that are like oil and water. He brings people together that culture says they don't belong in the same room. And he makes them family. That's what we're about um, as a church. And we need all of you to be excited about that. And I know it may be easier, like, you know what, I just like the music. I just want to come and sit and go home. I don't want to think about all this other stuff. Well, that's that's part of what a church is. It's not just me and God and my vertical relationship. As I grow in God, it's going to affect my horizontal relationships, right? That's how you know you're maturing in God of how and what God's doing uh, with you. And we gotta we gotta embrace the challenges. Like, how do you, how do you even do that? I don't I don't have a book. How how do you get people from different cultures to become one? Like, how do we pull that off? Like, we got all kinds. Of, your culture is not just your race. Right, your culture is where you're from and how you're brought up. Right, it's geography. Right, I was talking to First Service and just looking around this room. I know some of your stories. A lot of you don't. We had in First Service, we had uh, Puerto Rico and Connecticut and Miami and Atlanta and Colorado and Chicago and New York. Just like I knew, I knew. See, I could go through all, and I could name your city, and you're not gonna say anything. But New York people, they're always gonna let you know. I get that little whoop whoop, right? Um, and that's part of the culture, and that's that's a good thing and how do you take all of that and and bring it together here's how we don't do it and here's just a, just a little thing because I know you mean well let's not ever say again i'm colorblind all right let's just let's just put that away rabbit I know you, your heart may be good, but it's uh, two reasons to not do that one it's a lie right if 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 you're in the airport and you meet this. Uh, Asian man, and then later he's all over the news, and they're looking for this man who did something, and you talk to him, and they interview you, and they say, what race was he? No one's going to say, I don't remember. I'm colorblind. I was, he, was, he was a nice man, but I have no idea. It's just, you do see color. But the more important reason we'd rather not ever say that again than that is, um, parents, you've done this, and don't do this to your kids, because it always goes the same way. If you're going to have lunch with somebody, and maybe they've got like a birth defect, like something, big ward or something. You say, just don't stare at their, what do they do, right? You're like, I'm not staring. Like you look at, like, look at their eyes, not their nose or whatever it is, right? And that's kind of what colorblind feels like. The only things we don't want to recognize are negative. Your race is not a birth defect. It is God-designed. He picked it, and he gave it to you, and it's beautiful, and we don't want to have to avoid that or ignore that. It's part of who God created you to be. Why would we want to be blind to that? It's not negative. You know know whatever race you are now, you're going to be in heaven. Is that that bad news for some? I think. I don't have a verse to back that up. That's just what I think. Um, But we know when, when we see John in Revelation, he sees the picture of heaven. He says, I see every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping. Right, so he sees race, so maybe God's going like, to mix it all up, and, and the whites will be Asians and the Asians will be poor. Like who knows? I don't know, we'll leave that up to God. Um, the point, what is the point? The point is, we've got to accept the challenges and be discerning of culture, of your own culture, of my own culture. Sometimes culture can be sinful. And you've got to be able to be able to discern with what is just neutral and what is sinful. Right, we talked. I talked to First Service because Raph was in here, uh, Raph Gonzalez. Because I've always uh, loved the the Town movie. Remember the old movie with Ben Affleck, The Town? And I was like, Is that true? Because if you know the movie, it's all built on this little place in Boston that has more bank robbers per capita than anywhere else in the world. And he said, Yeah, it's true. It's like it started way back. They robbed banks, and they taught their kids to rob banks. It was like a hand-me-down. So what you can't say is. Hey, except that's part of my culture, so just God's got to deal with it. No, you got to be able to discern, is this part of my culture that's just neutral or God-blessed, or is there part of my culture that is in opposition to God's word? Because when my culture and God's word are in opposition, I've got to go with God's word, right? And that's what didn't happen. If we can be real honest at the 11 o'clock service, that's what didn't happen for the history of the American white church was we allowed the culture to overrule God's word. If you study the word, there's just no no intellectual defense of slavery from God's word. But people made the case. Why? Because they took their culture and what was best for them over God's word. We've got to be willing to choose God's word over, and that goes for anybody and everybody. Um, Let's tell a, the room's a little tense. Let's tell a North Carolina Tar Heel story. That'll relax everybody, make everybody feel good. All right, so... um, I heard this story a few weeks ago. Somebody asked Kenny Smith his favorite Dean Smith story. He said, let me tell you this story. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with this guy named Mokhtar Njai. Right? Only real basketball fans will remember Mokhtar. He's the first uh, transfer ever in 36 years before him. No transfers. Dean Smith didn't take him, and he took this guy. So the story goes, M- Mokhtar was, uh, he was at Michigan. He spoke English, but he was from Senegal, um, country in Africa, and he Um, He was having a bad practice, and Dean Smith is famous for never cursing. And and nobody's ever heard him cuss, cuss at players. They don't say that about his assistant coaches. So two assistant coaches, one black, Phil Ford, one white, Bill Guthridge, were all over his case because he was struggling. And he wasn't responding with what they wanted him to respond with. So they just kept going at him. And finally, he wasn't responding. They kicked him out of practice. So Dean Smith went to the locker room to talk to him. He's like, what is going on, Mokhtar? And he was just kind of, and he's like, Mokhtar, look me in the eyes. What is going on? And Mokhtar looked up and he said, coach, in my culture, to look an older person in the eyes is a sign of disrespect. And Dean Smith, as the story goes, said okay and walked out. That next week, nobody saw Coach Guthridge. A few days later, uh, Mokhtar gets a call from his mom in Senegal. And she says, I thought your coach was Dean Smith. He said, mom, my coach is Dean Smith. She said, well, there's some different white man named Bill at my house wanting to know about our family. He's like, yeah, that's my assistant coach. So what Dean Smith had done is sent Bill Guthridge to Senegal to learn about the culture so that he could do a better job of coaching this player, right? I got a few, like, hisses and boos when I talked about Dean Smith, and I I hope you feel bad if that's you um, (laughs) in this service. right, so what does that that have to do with us? It takes some effort. If you're a partner, a leader at Relentless, you've got to have that heart. I'm going to go the extra mile. Right to learn, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be vulnerable to know there may be some things I don't know, and I might have to learn them the the way I wish I wouldn't. But we have to have a culture where we can speak real about where we come from and how that affects our relationship with God, and how that affects uh, how we do church and how we love each other and how we're built into this beautiful thing that God is building. I saw a, an ad. Like people do all these Christmas um, marketing for their churches, which is fine. There was an ad that said come and worship with people just like you, right? And that's like, that's the opposite of us. If we did one, we, we would say, come and worship with people nothing like you, right? But we're not gonna do an ad. Here's our, you wanna know our big marketing campaign for next week for Christmas Eve service? It's you, just bring people. We're not doing any of the mailers. Um, we're a gospel center, forever focused multi-ethnic movement. We're gonna share the gospel. We're gonna talk about why this baby came. It's gonna be a powerful service, but we're not doing anything at night. Right, we've done that before, and there's so much competition for people's time. We try to be super respectful of the army of volunteers that work their tails off to make this church go. Um, so, we're going to do Sunday morning services next Christmas, next Christmas Eve, next Sunday, 9 and 11, normal services. We want you to bring people with you, and we'll do nothing Christmas Eve night. And then we'll do what we've done. We don't have many traditions as a nine year old church, but this is one of them. Uh, we started this early just to give our staff and volunteers a breath the Sunday after Christmas, we don't have worship services. So December 31st, don't come here. The doors will be locked. There'll be nobody here. We will do an online, a brief online uh, something for you uh, on that day, if you wanna watch that with your family or however that goes. Um, But we won't be here between December 24th and then January 7th, it's 2024 y'all. And we got a lot of exciting stuff that I just just know this is gonna be a church, uh, a year unlike any other in the history of our our church. Let me tell another Carolina story. As we before, you can't have too many of these, amen? And you're not gonna amen that? Too many already? Um, well, they're true, they're true. So, I, I was born and raised in Winston Salem, North Carolina. My, my parents both uh, went to University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, so I got it honest, so I was raised that way. So, I went to Kentucky Christian University to college uh, to become um, a pastor. And uh, I didn't know there was people like Kentucky fans until I went to Kentucky Christian. Like, when I grew up in high school, like, there was Duke fans, State fans, Wake fans, and a few, like, out, like, and it was, like, every, every day after a game, like, games were on Wednesday night, every Thursday, like, you, you were, you are either hearing it or giving it. And it was constant. And then I went to Kentucky. They're all Kentucky fans. Like, when I say all, I mean every single one of them. And they, they are sure that they are the preeminent basketball program. Like, they're sure. It's not a debate. It's like, we just know. We, basketball is ours. So I came into that environment, and they're like, oh, you'll be a Kentucky fan. I'm like, what would that say about me? Like, oh, no, you just wait. You'll be a Kentucky fan. They said, have you been to Rupp Arena yet? And I said, no. So somebody took me to a game at Rupp Arena. And they're like, after, after Rupp Arena, man, you'll be a Kentucky fan. I was like, finally, they kept pushing. Finally, it was in a meeting one day, and I was like, I've had enough. I said, you know what, guys? Let me be real with you. I'll be an atheist before I'm a Kentucky fan. You can't say that. So at that time when I went there at the late 90s, we didn't play every year. Then we signed a series where Kentucky and North Carolina started playing every year. And it was it was it like that, it was always a Saturday game and Sunday the next day. And I just, oh, it was awful if we lost. It was the worst. So we played yesterday. And we lost, and it's the first time we've lost him. I didn't get any text. I had to, Seth is Kentucky. I had to come in here, and he didn't say anything. He's worse than, than trash talk. He just looked at me with that look like, I know. <laughs> All right. But here, the story. The story is uh, 2004. Um, one of my friends in Kentucky who was connected with some U.K. people, he said, hey, I got an offer for you. He took me to lunch. He said, listen, I got a ticket for you for the U.K.-Carolina game. I was like, awesome. He's like, but it comes with strings attached. What do you mean? He said, because of who I got this ticket from, which is this guy, this guy is Greg Byrne. Almost all of you wouldn't know who that is. At the time he was an associate, associate athletic director at University of Kentucky. I put his picture up there now because he's like one of the most powerful athletic directors in the country. He's the athletic director at Alabama. But my friend had got Greg Byrne. He had a bunch of tickets and he'd got one of Greg Byrne's tickets, but he didn't tell him who he's giving it to. So he said, I will give you his ticket, but I and Greg Byrne will get in all kinds of trouble if you're making a scene. So you can have this ticket, and it's a good ticket, but you can't wear Carolina stuff, and you can't cheer out loud for Carolina. Do whatever you want in your head, but you can't, you can't be like that because everybody knows where this section is, and if you're there cheering for them, they'll be like, how did he get that ticket? And in Kentucky, they will trace it down. They will do an investigative process <laughs> to see how this Tar Heel got in that ticket. So he said, if you can't do that, I understand. You make the call. And I was like, man, I got to be in that arena for my boys. Just like, just by being in there, just my presence can help them, even if I don't cheer. So I took the deal. And I'm telling you, I've been to a lot of games. That was the most miserable fan experience of my life. I wore my colors. I just I wore a sweatshirt over them. But I had them on, for the record. I just, nobody could see it. Um, and I, I behaved and tried my best. And I was just sitting there and surrounded by people that I don't want to be with. And they're all cheering. And I'm not a part of y'all. And they're looking at me like, how do you get this ticket? Like, don't worry about it. All right, uh, and, it, and we lost and we, it was a close game and I, Gerald Fitch hit a shot that he shouldn't have hit. I still believe if I'd have cheered out loud, we would have won that game. My guys came all the way from Chapel Hill to Lexington and I was there and I just couldn't be me and they needed me and I robbed them of that win. I say all that to say, as a multi-ethnic church, we got so many new people. We need you to bring you to the table, right? There's nothing more wrong in the church of Jesus than Jesus people feeling like they gotta check part of their God-given personality, culture, race, whatever, right? To assimilate or to what or to not rock the boat. We've if you've been with us for a couple of years, if you notice we get a little more expressive in worship, we're a little more expressive than we used to be. And I know some of you are thinking, as the white pastor, you're thinking at some point, come on, guy, you can put your foot down, like, come on, let's not. Right? It's not coming. We embrace it because if you're not being who God created you to be, you're robbing the church of Jesus. It's beautiful. Not when we all do the same, vote the same, act the same, sing the same. That's not beautiful. What's beautiful is all this different stuff coming in and becoming one family through the egg yolk, the emulsifier, Jesus, and Jesus alone. That's what's beautiful. When we can sing this God who will work it out. And that includes all the injustice and all the things um, that we need to talk about and have talked about. We don't want to rob. We don't want you to, you're, you're hurting. I'm not mad at you because I'm glad you're here. You're hurting the church of Jesus if you think you got to check part of your culture at the door of a multi-ethnic church. We want the full you. The church needs the full you. The world desperately needs to see people that come from different places and different perspectives, and different skin tones that are actually one. Like, how are y'all? Like, oil and water don't mix. You're right, they do. With Jesus, that's how powerful he is. There's people that want to believe in Jesus. They just don't know if he's legit, and they've got a version of Jesus that's been all messed up by culture, and this and that. They would follow the Jesus, and actually can make us family in this room, and he is, and he's doing it. He's building that, and we need you to step into that. We're excited about that, and it's I know this was a little different of a Christmas message, but it's in the Christmas story. It's all through Scripture. He called a shot. He was always going to build a church of people that the culture says shouldn't be together. That's what we are. That's what we're growing towards. So whatever God put in you, if you're reserved and you don't, you know, you're real reserved in worship and you never talk when the preacher talks, if that's you, you're welcome here, right? Just don't be the guy yelling at the ballgame and quiet in here. It's in there. It's in there, right? Right? But it's, just not, it's church culture, right? So we're not trying to take some of this culture and some of that culture. And No, we're trying to do a whole new thing. It's a multi-ethnic church, and we're learning. And God put you here for a reason. So whatever he put in you, it's because he thought we needed some of that or maybe a lot of that. So don't rob us of that. You with me? All right. We're going we're gonna to stand up. We're going to pray. Next week's a big week. Uh, I do. If you get a chance, thank Takesha, meet Takesha in the lobby, and then bring somebody with you next week. I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed. Father, only you, only you could pull this off. If we had Vegas odds, God, on the first century church when Simeon said that, holding Jesus, that there would be any Gentile, Jewish, anything that was complete impossibility. We just thank you for doing the impossible over and over again. Thank you for defeating death. Thank you for killing the hostility. Thank you that there is nothing that is between man that you can't bring peace to through Jesus. That gives us such comfort and confidence. Help us be vulnerable. Help us, help us have the heart to learn somebody else's background and culture um, because we're family. Just pray you would build your church like only you can. In Jesus' name we pray and go. Amen.